Hi, Natalie. What's up, Tara? <laughs> How are you? I'm okay. Getting over a cold. Great way to start off oh, the, no. the spring, huh? Well, I mean, if it's not a cold, it's probably also the allergies from the clouds of pollen um, that is already yeah. <laughs> that too. following us. Oh, it's following us around like we're Pigpin from Peanuts cartoons. Everything just in a dust of yellow everywhere you go. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on with you? I've been thinking a lot about chat GPT. Have you really? Have you used it? It's kind of awesome because, I mean, you can, I mean, I think it's a trained only. I think the last time I was trained was what, 2021 or something like that. But at the same time, you can ask it so many things and it gives you such great advice. Like how to improve your SEO on your website and all the things that you should do. And I don't so you're, know. An, you're an active user then? Well, I've been trying to use it more frequently. Hmm. I like it. I've tried to use it, but I feel like the traffic was overloading or something and I could never actually get to it. Oh. Still too popular. Dang. I'll patiently wait my turn to play with yeah. the chat. Try GPT. again. I do like reading people's chat threads where they mess with the AI and it like has this existential meltdown. Oh, really? Oh, I yeah, haven't the, seen that at all. Those are, those are fun to read. I love how people say, you know, like, oh, I had this idea. Then I asked ChatGPT, like, how to go about it. And then I asked ChatGPT to, like, code it. And so you can you can basically tell the app to, or the, the software, if you want to call it that, to build things for you, to code it. Yeah, that's crazy. And I'm sure there's people out there composing music with it already and writing lyrics oh, I'm with sure. it. sure. Yeah. That's an interesting topic. Mm. AI generative lyrics and music. And music, yeah. It's coming. I mean, last time we talked about music tech, I learned a whole lot about looping. Oh, yeah. We went all the way back to the 1800s. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy how technology then seemed so futuristic, but is still in practice today. Things like looping and even the LP and just changed the whole music industry forever. Yeah. And even beyond that, I'm sure those those new things back then seemed kind of scary. You know, they were shaking up what people understood, kind of the, the status quo. They didn't know where it would go. So that, that can make people scared. And I think we're going to face something similar with these new technologies and with stuff like chat GPT, because we just don't know where it's going to go, where it's going to take us. So there's, I think there's a lot of fear. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that those things even happened back then in the 1800s, thinking about, you know, the LP, the gramophone and things like that, how, you know, those composers like Sousa and whoever else, all those composers who were used to sharing their music in concert halls, then had to uh, kind of lost their audience in a sense, in a way, to the home listening experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure it changed them. Like, oh no, is this the end of composers and director band directors and whatnot? I mean, we're dealing with something kind of similar now too, right? You have those composers who were used to performing in front of an audience, having to pivot and find other ways to share their music. Artists are having to do that now, especially post-pandemic. I hate the term post-pandemic because, but you know, after the quarantine situation, um, right? you know, so many more artists are interacting with their audience, not in a live setting or online. And again, these new technologies are popping up again. We're thinking about, you know, you mentioned AI and like virtual personas and finding creative ways to still stay connected with your listeners. Yeah, even with like plugins, for example, if you're a home producer and how you can really do a lot nowadays with simple plugins instead of spending all your money on an expensive studio or even, you know, a, a producer or someone, um, a mastering engineer, you can really do a lot at home now thanks to technology. Yeah, the era of the bedroom DJ, bedroom producer. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Exactly. So what do you think we talk about some more music technology? Let's do it. More innovations. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I was thinking it would be really neat to talk about auto-tune. Mm -hmm. uh, it's good and bad. Yeah. 
The good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah. So yeah, so we talked about looping and the invention of the LP, which changed the music landscape entirely. But today we've seen even more innovation around production that has really, truly changed the sound of music as we know it. And one innovation in music tech that's changed music production in a huge, huge way is Auto-tune. For better or worse, auto-tune has been used across so many genres. Even country music has auto-tune nowadays. But no matter what camp you're in, I think either anti-auto-tune or pro-auto-tune, you can't deny that it is revolutionary in music innovation. Right? Would you agree? Oh, for sure. I mean, you mentioned country music even using auto-tune. I think the, the even wilder application is rap music how everyone started using auto-tune in rap even. I mean, it was all over the place in rap music. All over the place. But I don't know, I feel like country music is a further distance away from from funk, which used certain vocal pitching devices, which we'll get into. Mm -hmm. So yeah, saying that now, auto-tune wasn't the first pitch-changing effect in the music world. We have to go back to the vocoder which was invented in 1938 by Homer Dudley at Bell Labs as a means of synthesizing human speech. The work was developed into the channel vocoder, which was used as a voice codec for telecommunications for speech coding to conserve bandwidth in transmission and sometimes to also encrypt uh, vocal messages. So a vocoder analyzes and synthesizes the human voice signal for audio data compression, multiplexing, voice encryption, and voice transformation. One of the first attempts to use vocoder in creating music was the Siemens synthesizer at the Siemens Studio for Electronic Music. And that was developed between 1956 and 1959. This has gone quite far, actually, but don't worry, we'll go back to some other pitch-changing Technology. I just wanted to highlight the vocoder because it's so closely related to auto-tune. But we'll go back even further to dive into some older pitch-changing effects. So going back to what I was mentioning, in 1968, Robert Moog, Moog, Robert Moog, I always want to say Moog just because it <laughs> looks like that, developed one of the first solid-state musical vocoders. And Kraftwerk always used vocoders in their music. So let's listen to a sample of Kraftwerk, the robot's featuring a vocoder. So similar to the vocoder, in 1939, Alvino Ray, amateur radio operator, used a carbon throat microphone wired in such a way as to modulate his electric steel guitar sound. The mic, originally developed for military pilot communications, was placed at his wife's throat and she would stand behind a curtain and mouth to the words along to guitar lines. They called it the singing guitar and they featured it in this movie called Jam Session. And it was kind of a novelty attraction, but was not really developed further. But let's listen to Alvino Ray's Talking Steel Guitar from Jam Session. Another early voice effect using the same principle of the throat filter, the throat as a filter rather, was the Sonovox invented by Gilbert Wright in 1939. Instead of a throat microphone modulating a guitar signal, it used small transducers attached to the performer's throat to produce sounds, the mouth shapes. The Sonovox was used in lots of radio station IDs and jingles, and Lucille Ball made one of the earliest film appearances during a 1930s uh, newsreel demonstrating the Sonovox. So let's listen to Lucille Ball uh, explaining the Sonovox. I've just returned from a trip across country by rail, and at every crossing, this is the way the train whistle sounded to me. Hello, everybody. 
Very, very cool. So the sound box was used to produce the voice of anthropomorphic train Casey Jr. in the 1941 animated film Dumbo. And uh, then the custom electronics device, the bag, as it was called, was the first mass market talk box and was housed in a decorative bag that you could sling over your shoulder like a wine bottle. It used a 30-watt driver and was released to the mass market, mass music market, in early 1969, two years before Bob Hale's talk box became widely available. And Stevie Wonder gave the talk box its first national television prominence featuring a medley of the Carpenters, They Long to Be, Close to You, and Jackson 5's Never Can Say Goodbye with the custom bag live on the David Frost Show in 1972, which some of us noobs might recognize in a Frank Ocean uh, or a sample later in Frank Ocean's Close to You. So now let's check out a little bit of Stevie Wonder's performance with a talk box of Close to You. I also just want to call out one of the masters of the talk box, Roger Troutman of Zap and Roger, was very well known for this talk box action. So let's hear a little bit of some Zap and Roger. We also, um, in music, popular music using the talk box, David Gilmour, Pink Floyd, who automatically doubles his guitar leads by singing them uh, as he plays with the talk box and experimenting with merging voice and instrument into single unified sound. You can hear that on the album Animals. And then also the first high-powered talk box was developed by Bob Hale. Hale came up with the first high-powered talk box that could be used on high-level rock stages. And I believe this was created specifically for Bob Walsh. But I wanted to highlight Tell Me Something Good by Rufus. So let's listen to a little of that. Tell me something good. one's pretty funky. So we mentioned Roger Troutman from Zap and Roger. Legendary. Fast forward to 1995. Enter Troutman again. He's a co-writer for this huge hip-hop hit, California Love. Oh, yeah. Roger Troutman sings the lyrics from a Ronnie Hudson song called West Coast Pop Lock in his iconic talk box style. Fast forward, now enter autotune. Ironically, what would become autotune actually grew out of the oil industry. Dr. Andy Hildebrand, working for Exxon, created a complex set of algorithms to interpret sonar-generated data and locate oil deposits far underground. In 1989, Hildebrand combined his knowledge and passion for music to create Antares Audio Technologies. After a colleague jokingly requested a machine that would help her sing in tune, he realized the logic behind his geological system could be applied to pitch correction, and autotune was born. That's crazy. Crazy, right? Wow. Wow. Scientists meet music. Smash together. So the goal of Antares at the time was to fix discrepancies in pitch in order to make songs more effectively expressive. 
So from the patent, it says, quote, when voices or instruments are out of tune, the emotional qualities of the performance are lost. The device was designed to bring voices up to code, as it were, to communicate with intended emotion. Eh, I'm going to call BS on that. (laughs) Right, right. Completely overlooking how like some dissonance in sound and notes actually causes a different feel and emotion. So in some cases, it's intentional. Yeah. I would say. Jazz, jazz. All right. A glimpse of the total shift caused by autotone would happen around 1998 when we hear the glimmering yet robotic voice of Cher <laughs> of in course. her song Believe. <laughs> Do you believe in life after love? I can feel something inside me say I really don't think you're strong enough, no. Immediately, it felt gimmicky, but it also kind of felt like the future. It was the future. We just didn't know it. The song's producers, Mark Taylor and Brian Rawling, tried to keep secret the source of their magic trick. Um, And they even came up with a story that said that the sound was made from a brand of vocoder pedal, that robotic-sounding analog era effect widely used in disco and funk, which we heard from Kraftwerk and Zapp and Roger. But the truth came out. Even Cher told the New York Times that she adamantly refused her label's request to remove the auto-tune effects. But yeah, turns out it wasn't a gimmicky fad. It was here to stay. Soon, overtly auto-tuned vocals were cropping up all over the sonic landscape. We heard it everywhere. Literally everywhere. J-Lo had an auto-tune song. Nicki Minaj had an auto-tune song. It was in R&B, dancehall, pop, house, and even country music, like we mentioned before. But who is the one person we all think of when we talk about autotune? T-Pain. T-Pain. T-Pain is autotune to his demise and success, unfortunately. He was looking for something. He is a talented, talented musician, singer, but he heard Cher and he obsessed and he was like, I got to find out what this sound is. You know, he was inspired by Zapp and Roger as well, but he, he was looking for something to differentiate himself. He wanted to use autotune for an artistic creative spin. And I think he nailed it. He totally oh, nailed yeah. it. To his credit too, like a lot of people use auto, hide behind autotune, right? But yeah. T-Pain can really sing. He's got a right. lovely voice. So this was completely like a, a full creative choice from him, which should be stated, totally. right? Yeah. Yes, definitely. This was on purpose. He became synonymous with autotune. And even in 2009, like 20 years after Antares Auto Technology was created or founded, that company then partnered with T-Pain and made an app and it was called IMT Pain. And the app essentially turned iPhones into autotune karaoke machines, nice. which is, I think, really cool. Yeah. The style he developed, it, I mean, it, like we said, it, it was so synonymous with, with him. It became dominant across all of music, and other artists were, were making bank on that same sound. Kanye West, even, Black Eyed Peas. And now, you know, look even further out to like Lil Uzi Vert. When Daft Punk, was asked about their use of autotune in One More Time, Thomas Bangalter said, a lot of people complain about musicians using autotune. It reminds me of late 70s when musicians in France tried to ban the synthesizer. What they didn't see was that you could use those tools in a new way instead of just for replacing the instruments that came before. So let's go back to that conversation we had earlier about how People can be afraid of these like new things. It's not like it's going to forever replace our old and loved whatever thing. You know, like we still have concert halls, we still have composers, and I mean, yeah, in quarantine we didn't, but we 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 got around it. But yeah, it's, there's no reason to be afraid of a new technology because you can always use the old things in new ways, and you can, you know, maybe be more creative with the new stuff. Yeah, it's not replacing anything. It's it's more 
an expansion of our toolkit, right? Yeah. Right. T-Pain said, when I came out in the game, I was using auto-tune in order to make myself sound different. And then everybody else started using it. It made me sound the same again. But then everything changed. T-Pain went from being in demand to being kind of like a novelty act. Jay-Z put out DOA, Death of Auto-Tune. Even Christina Aguilera was wearing a shirt that said something like, Auto-Tune is for P-word, we're not going to say it out loud. (laughs) T-Pain sales decreased dramatically, radio plays slowed. He was like a martyr to (laughs) Auto-Tune. Usher who used auto-tune on the hit in 2012, OMG, oh my God, uh, said some really, really harsh comments to T-Pain. He said that basically T-Pain ruined music. He said, man, I'm going to tell you something, man. You kind of effed up music. That is so harsh. Yeah. I know, that's so mean. And T-Pain said, you know, his thirst for music will never be the same after that. He had great respect for Usher. And like we said, Usher even used auto-tune and made some bank off of it and then said that to T-Pain. But T-Pain didn't didn't destroy the industry. It just changed, you know? T-Pain did set the groundwork for an entire ecosystem, but he was the one that paid the price. And he still struggles with it, unfortunately. And what's crazy is, like you mentioned, T-Pain can really sing. So I wanted to share a clip from his just amazing tiny desk performance Ooh, oh where good. he really shows off his pipes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. like me, I'm about your train. Oh, I'm gonna take you home with me. Money in the bank. Like Kleenex for tissues or maybe band-aid for band-aids. <laughs> Auto-tune has just become this like stand-in all-purpose name for a whole range of other pitch correction and vocal processing equipment. One other is Melodyne and it's preferred in a lot of recording studios by professionals for the greater scope that it offers as far as altering vocals, but it was launched on the music tech market early 2001. Melodyne was conceived as an apparatus for total design of vocal performances, working not just on pitch adjustment, but also timing and phrasing, keeping it real-ish, sort of. A lot of negativity around autotune is that there's this whole like thing about taking away the natural parts of singing. But are any songs found on the radio or albums ever really natural? I mean, at least since the invention of recording, there's microphones, a live amplification. Even with Elvis Presley, there was a ton of echo. Beatles, they had double tracking. John Lennon loved his natural timbre of his voice, but he also put it through the Leslie speaker, which kind of added that wobbly, rotating, whirly effect. And then we also have reverb and EQ and phasing and like stacking vocals again. And yeah, it just, it's like, it's never ever just your natural voice. And even further, if we're talking about natural voice with no amplification, even there, even with a natural voice, there's nothing probably completely natural about that because there's likely a lot of technique involved in singing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I that's one part of the argument, but there's more. So another part of the, or another side of the argument against autotune, I guess, is that it allows people who aren't really talented to sometimes make it in a world where you're supposed to be making it for your talent, in other words. What? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I hear this I hear this uh this tone of sarcasm. But that's because history is full of really talented backing singers, supporting performers who are really just great at having some sort of personality. Mm-hmm. So again, is it Autotune's fault? I don't think so. We could talk about this all day long, but there's one thing that's clear to me. Autotune has become quite ubiquitous in music production to the point where I think some people can't even tell it's even happening in song production. So 
is the scary thing or the bad thing that it's helping talentless people become famous? Or is the bad thing here that we can't tell if it's even there anymore? And so it's more subtle. And then I say, does it lead me to believe that when music is created by AI or virtual artists, how are we to know if it's real or not at that point? Should we be afraid? Okay. Yes. Interesting question. Can I tell you what I'm scared of, though, with autotune? Yes. Yeah. So a lot of people can't tell the difference. My issue with that, though, is that it's it's like desensitizing us to actual human voices, and we're losing our ability to appreciate the nuances of a real human voice singing and emoting. Do you know what I mean? Like with those yeah. kind of those curves and like the slight, you know, f- flatness or sharpness on a pitch and like how that in itself can be part of an uh, intentional part of the performance or just the, the way voices are colored differently. Yeah. Hearing everything just sitting exactly on the pitch, I think it's like ruining our our uh, depth of ears. music appreciation. Yeah, it's messing up our ears. Yeah. I think of like... Mary J. Blige, who I absolutely adore. I think she's a phenomenal singer. She's like famous for being just sort of routinely a little bit flat. But that adds to like that soul. It's almost like you can feel her like reaching up to that note and it like pulls you along with her emotionally. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like her, her voice wouldn't be the same without that kind of color, without that kind of character. And so it makes me upset when people can't just listen to a human sing live and then they want to bash them for being being pitchy dog or whatever you want to say. No, it's just the way the human voice sounds. That's the part that worries me. Yeah. Perfecting it too much in production, then when you hear it live, you you don't have an appreciation for the actual And then it just sounds empty and hollow. Yeah, you just sound like a machine. And I think that's less evocative and I don't like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, what do you think about AI? So then... I guess that kind of takes it even further though. Like we are talking about seeing someone performing live on stage. What if you couldn't tell that they weren't even a real person on ooh, stage? Ooh. Like the hologram? Look at you. Because you know that's what I'm I haven't seen I'm a hologram. Into. I don't know what that experience is really like, but. Okay. Well, if I can take the baton here, because you know, I'm, I'm very much obsessed with virtual pop stars and AI, everything that's coming down the pike with that. So shall we shall we get into it? Talk a bit about oh, virtual yeah. pop stars? Yeah. All right. So super brief backdrop here. There, so lately there's been an increase in music labels signing artists who aren't real people, right? But the concept of, of virtual or persona-based musicians is by no means new. We can go back to 1958 with Alvin and the Chipmunks, um, which is one of the earliest examples of musicians as animated 2D characters. Then there's the Archies a band that evolved from the original Archie comics from the 40s. They even had a number one hit in 1969 with the song Sugar Sugar. Sugar. Uh, I mean, we have Josie and the Pussycats and my personal favorite of all time, Jim and the Holograms. I was hoping you were going to say that. That's my favorite. And also the Misfits. Jim is my Yeah, their music, their songs aren't <laughs> as good as Jim's songs, but yeah, I like the Misfits too. Um, yeah, so, and more recently, the Gorillas, right? They were pretty major. They took things a leap forward by actually playing live shows with the band uh, projected as holograms. Here you go. But moving from cartoons to digital animation, again, there have been these virtual avatar celebrities for decades now. Think like Max Headroom from the 80s. You remember him? Yes. <laughs> he was the first computer-generated TV presenter played by actor Matt Frewer. Um, actually, however, he wasn't really computer-generated at all. It was just Frewer in a prosthetic makeup and plastic suit sitting in front of a blue screen. But still, the intention was there. He I was cool. I remember him being like digital. Yeah, he was not actually digital. He was a real dude. Yeah. But he was cool. He had this like snappy acerbic wit and his voice would stutter and pitch shift randomly. So what I want to do is like present two or three case studies of of this virtual pop star phenomenon and see 
get your thoughts on how you feel about the implications for the future, right, from these cases. The first virtual pop star I want to talk about is Hatsune Miku. So once social media really took off, we got likely the biggest digital star so far that we've ever seen. That's Japanese virtual idol Hatsune Miku, who's an anthropomorphic mascot for the voice bank synth software called Vocaloid. And she was developed by Krypton Future Media in 2007. So she's the super cool teenage girl with long turquoise pigtails, and she's wearing this futuristic school uniform. Um, are you familiar with Vocaloid? It's quite similar to what you were talking about with the vocoder. No. Yeah. So basically the software allows users to put in melodies and lyrics, which it would then synthesize into vocal tracks. This was pretty major for bedroom producers who needed singers on their tracks. So there are lots of Vocaloids out there before and after Hatsune Miku, but she was a game changer because her sound quality was miles ahead from her predecessors um, using voice samples from human actress Saki Fujita. Here's an example. The song is called World Is Mine by Ryo from the J-pop band Supercell. then also another major driver of her popularity is the fact that she's open source, which means users are free to customize her look and her personality to match the style of the music that they're making. You can animate her in music videos, all non-commercially, of course. Um, and it just sort of scaled up to this massive peer-produced media juggernaut. Hatsune Miku has done concert tours. She even opened for Lady Gaga's art pop tour. She's featured in tons of video games, insane amounts of merchandising. Um, she's done high-profile fashion and music collaborations, like a bona fide superstar. Wait, so her opening for Lady Gaga, that was on a video, I guess, at that point? It was some kind of, it was like a projection, some kind of 3D, oh, I don't know gotcha. if it's a hologram. Wow. It, I think it was more high-tech than just a hologram, but yeah, she's yeah. on stage performing. Wow. So Polygon did a video a few years ago asking whether Hatsune Miku is a better pop star than Justin Bieber. And they point out that we live in, quote, an age of participation with social media where we can critique and reconstruct whatever we want and how Miku reflects the way we now expect to engage with our entertainment. And this makes her a better vessel for celebrity than Justin Bieber. Because we can't do these things with a living human being, right? We can't make Justin do what we want um, when we critique him or invade his privacy or spread sensational gossip about him. We're doing real harm to a real person, right? Meanwhile, his handlers are like cashing in every step of the way, yeah, right? But these stars, right. they become less human and more commodity. And there are real long-lasting consequences. Like how many times have we witnessed the public downward spiral of a child star? Or how often do we hear stories of, of their trauma as adults? So in this sense, I'm kind of leaning pro-digital pop star, considering how abusive the public can be to like young, impressionable stars, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So society is unlikely to change. I think like on some perverted level, it's like we don't even see them as being truly human. There's this weird sense of ownership we have over them. And there's just something really dark about how we view celebrities, even as we put them on a pedestal. So I just don't think we're going to tame whatever monkey brain malfunction causes us to worship these stars only to crucify them later, you know, hello, T-Pain, and drive them to depression, yeah. addiction, or worse. I think this could be a way to protect people until we can get our shit together as a society, right? You still mm -hmm. have talented voice and personality driving the musical experience behind the scenes, but, you know, we keep them out of the public line of fire. Digital stars like Hatsune Miku would be impervious to all this. To quote that Polygon video again, her life can't be ruined because she doesn't have one. Interesting. That is a whole other side of it. So crazy. I've never thought about that. Yeah, I just feel like, like it makes sense, but for me, I, if I were to see Hatsune Miku, there yeah. we go, at like Coachella, which apparently she played in 2020, what? That's mm -hmm. crazy. I feel like I might be disappointed in a sense because it's not a real person, you know? Yeah, I understand that. I think part of the appeal, though, is that everybody is Hatsune Miku because she belongs to the crowd. Like, they're they're the content yeah. creators that have built this larger-than-life persona for her. I think if you're in the audience watching her show, it helps to have been a part of that movement, you know? That's true. Yeah. Then I can see how it would be kind of exciting because you you are you've taken part in this experience actively. 
Now, so interesting. However, there is another argument that by having these digital stars take the brunt force of our basal instincts, are we just reinforcing those sinister behaviors and devaluing life and talent further? Like in the case of Hatsune Miku, she's a child. Furthermore, she's a child we own, a child who can't say no. You know, and truth be told, her character has been used in some really gross ways online. One more quote from that video because it's so spot on. The host ends by saying this. Agents, managers, and producers, but also we, the fans, are guilty because we idolize, commoditize, sexualize, and aggrandize the people we love with a dangerous fervor. We treat pop stars like objects when what they need to be treated like is humans. Yeah, I mean, mm. man, I'm not surprised that her likeness has been used in gross ways. I kind of thought that immediately when you said she was open source, so you could basically do whatever you wanted to her. I was like, oh God, what kind of like creepy things are those, you know, internet trolls doing? But we do that with humans as well. I mean, this whole stalker thing, even not being as crazy as stalker, just like Taylor Swift, the Swifties, they are obsessed to the point where like, they'll try to figure out who she's singing about just to like go and, pick on them on the internet or even like oh my gosh this whole thing you were talking about Justin Bieber the whole thing right now with Bieber and Haley Bieber and uh what's her face um Selena Gomez thank you yes Selena why do Gomez. I know this I hate myself for and, knowing that <laughs> yeah I'm like I don't know I I see it everywhere but yeah I don't really listen to their music but yeah their relationship ended so long ago and they're trying to like force them into this like oh they he misses her. He misses her. This whole storyline that the fans have made up. But I just can't think, I, I can't help but think about how sad that must be for Haley Bieber. You know, everyone's so anti Haley Bieber. It's well, for all parties can you involved. Imagine being, like, your life is an, uh, a soap opera. That's not fair. Yeah. That's his actual wife and everyone's right. shitting on you. That's sad. We wouldn't have that problem if Hatsune Miku got married. And she has gotten married, actually. Multiple so people have married her, her pillow version. Wait, say that again? <laughs> she is actually married. I think multiple people have tried to marry her in different forms, oh. including her pillow version. Oh my gosh. Yeah. See, people are weird. So I guess it no is judgment. maybe better to just <laughs> not have a real person to be. Right, right. All right, so that's that's phase one of the virtual pop star argument. So let's let's move on to something else. Let's talk a little bit about K-pop. Okay. So this is becoming quite popular in, in Asian pop, particularly K-pop, which is basically built on this illusion of perfection. And it's no surprise that COVID really boosted this trend with entertainment companies having to pivot to online content while the world was in quarantine. An example in 2021, the group, the girl group Eternity released their first single, I'm Real. So this is an 11-member group of hyper-real AI-generated avatars. Park Jian, CEO of Pulse9 and the creator of Eternity, said on BBC.com, the advantage of having virtual artists is that while K-pop stars often struggle with physical limitations or even mental distress because they are human beings, virtual artists can be free from these. So that's that's a really good point, too, right? It's more than just the mental distress. It's also the physical limitations. These virtual stars can't get tired, so they can perform nonstop and just be on a perpetual marketing blitz without having to be concerned about exhaustion or feeding themselves or anything, right? Feeding themselves, yeah. Right. And when it comes to the pressures of being a pop star, K-pop definitely sounds like the unhealthiest environment for people, let alone such young people. All right, so the process to create Eternity is pretty interesting. The company created 101 faces split into four categories. Cute, sexy, innocent, and intelligent. Whatever the hell that means. Probably glasses. Um, and fans fans voted on their favorites. Then those winning faces are projected onto anonymous singers, actors, and dancers contracted by Pulse9. So the public gets what it wants, and real artists are still being compensated for their work, which I think is a, a great compromise. Interesting. Also, it feels like the Spice Girls for some reason. Right. Well, yeah, it's kind of like the formula for any pop group. You kind of want a little, a flavor for everyone to satisfy everyone's taste. Something for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely the formula formula in K-pop groups. 
So Park mentioned in the article that Pulse9 uses the European Union's draft ethical AI guidelines when making these avatars. So yeah, I perused that document a little bit, and basically it highlights the following ethical principles. Respect for human autonomy, prevention of harm, fairness, and explicability, which is all fine and dandy, but like in the section prevention of harm, it states... They must be technically robust and it should be ensured that they are not open to malicious use. That's great. But how on earth can you expect to really enforce that? Like these guidelines are clearly for the developers, but in terms of public behavior, that monster is long out of the cage, right? Yeah. Another, you know what? Another thing I think about too, about the appeal of the modern day pop star and celebrities in general, I think it has a lot to do with those parasocial parasocial relationships we develop with them. We start to like over-identify with them and think we understand them in some unique way and that they in turn understand us. That's really the hook, feeling like this perfect otherworldly being belongs to you and cares about you. That's why I think the real end game for these virtual groups is seeing whether or not they can establish those same kinds of parasocial connections with their human audience. Right? Yeah. Do these AI stars have backstories too, you know? Oh, absolutely. They all have origin stories. Yeah, most definitely. It's a whole thing. Um, Well, a good example of that, like there's a more recent virtual K-pop group called Maeve from the company Kakao Entertainment in partnership with gaming company Netmarble. So this group exists solely in the metaverse using deepfake technology, face swapping, full 3D, and most notably machine learning technology. So the goal, according to Kang Sinku, a technical director for the project, is that the Maeve girls will eventually be able to talk to international fans in their native language fluently and convincingly. Uh, Right now they speak four languages through an AI voice generator, but they still rely on scripts made by humans, right? But that could change. In the New York Times, Kong says that, quote, once such virtual beings can simulate meaningful conversations, no real human will ever be lonely. I mean, I feel like you can almost already do that with chat GPT. So maybe they just need a chat GPT plugin for their, for Maeve. <laughs> yeah, they just need it to be sophisticated enough to not be thrown into an existential or racist meltdown with just a little bit of manipulating. (laughs) As soon as they clean that up, all bets are off. Um, A lot of intricacies to be worked through. Yeah. Yeah. So on a side note, none of this is new to K-pop even. Like in, in 98, there was a virtual singer called Adam. He released two full albums before the turn of the century, which I think is kind of funny. We would totally laugh at the animation today, but I think there was recently a, a crowdfunding effort to try to bring him back like in the 2010s, but that didn't pan out. But yeah, what do you think about that? Using these these virtual stars to kind of sate our need to be over-involved in these people's lives and really give in to our, our sense of ownership and connection with them. You can't stalk I a virtual feel, star. Right. Well, you can, I guess. And you can even marry them, I guess. I don't I know. know. But I feel like, anybody. yeah, I don't know. There's, there's something still, I'm, I'm a cynic. I am a Gen X cynic still at heart because I just feel like it's not real enough for me. Yeah. But then again, as someone who just started this conversation by saying that she liked chat GPT. Like there has to be a point where it does, it just becomes more of the norm, very much like autotune and more like it's, there's maybe more diversity in sound even, and it could feel more real at a a certain point, I guess. So what do we call it though? Is it, is it a, a transformation of pop music or should it be considered its own new genre? its own thing. Maybe it is a transformation in pop music, but it's also a transformation in entertainment. Right. Yeah. Which there's probably a lot there around. Like, I mean, you already mentioned Max Headroom, but the whole like virtual reality thing, like thinking of like those Aerosmith videos, you know, Mm -hmm. um, things like that, or like Lawnmower Man, even, which we like to talk about. Um, I don't know. There's like, it's been happening, I guess, already. And it, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's just. No, I know. It's, it's very, <laughs> we just, we don't know. I think, I think you're right though, yeah. that it's, 
music isn't in danger. I think it's it's going to be something, it's going to be its own thing. And I think it's going to exist in the broader like entertainment sphere because it mm-hmm. is it, no hate or nothing. You know, I'm, a, I'm an OG K-pop lover, but the music yeah. is actually quite a small part of it. It's, it's so much more than that. Yeah, right? definitely. And especially now, now with social, it's right. It's the look it's, they're doing so much interactions online. So you get to know them and you know, their backstories and all that kind of stuff. It's all connected. They all do like variety yeah. shows and things. And then one of them, maybe like when they think that's kind of played out, maybe one of them is going to break free and go solo. And then it's a whole other thing. Yeah, that happens too. Absolutely. Just like Harry Styles. Is he real? <laughs> right. <Just> <laughs> I don't know. He was slopping down Emily Ratajkowski. Oh Let's gosh. not do that. I don't, I don't, Let's I'm, not I'm ashamed of myself every time I admit to hearing about this, these gossipy things ugh, that I'm I don't like it. with. I hate it. Okay. One question I have for you though, before I move on to my, my final little case study here, how do you feel about holograms for the dead? Cause we've seen this pop up quite frequently. Yes. Like we've seen Whitney Houston, I, Elvis, yeah. Tupac. For those artists that? that I have not been able to see, I would love to see a hologram. So, oh, so you're or a really good impersonator. Like, come on, bring it at me. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to experience those artists live in a sense. If there is is something like that, you know. Interesting. I would not have guessed that because you seem you seem so against the virtual stars doing the music because it's not well, the real thing enough. Is, I know they're dead. It's a different kind of a show. It's like a mm. tribute. So, but it's closer, it's the closest thing I could get to seeing them. Okay, well, would you take issue then with, okay, I can see like a Michael Jackson hologram coming back to perform Michael Jackson's catalog. What about trying to create new music for mm-hmm. the Michael Jackson hologram? Is that okay? No, I don't think that's allowed. That's not allowed, okay. Because these these, this voice yeah. synthesis stuff is going to get more sophisticated. So you absolutely feasibly could... Have sure. mimic his voice and just stick it on another song, and we wouldn't be the wiser. Yeah, they could feed all of his lyrics, all, everything into some generator and make some version of some other song we've never heard before. It won't be the same though, because even over time he shifted and he was taking inspiration from those things around him. A, a prince, if you don't like Michael Jackson, you know, like it's it will never be the same. Yeah, it I might think be prince, close. Prince, prince would feel wrong to me, just I think in any. In any situation, but because he was so protective of his his art, mm-hmm. I think like to imagine seeing a hologram of Prince even doing his own music now, I don't. It feels like it would be so disrespectful yeah. to him. You know, you know how a lot of people say uh, nothing compares to you. Sinead O'Connor maybe did it better than Prince. What if some AI situation hologram whatever did a new song, a new Prince song, and everyone loved it, and it was like. Better than any Prince song ever. I don't know how you could ever quantify that, but like, <laughs> what if? I don't know. I just like, what if? Me. Like, they did it better than Prince. I will That'd wait for that day. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Okay. So here's, here's the last example of virtual stars I want to talk about. This one is wild. <laughs> FN Mecca, who hit the scene in 2019. Have you heard of this? No. This is nut, nut bar. I have any of these. Just nut bar. So FN Mecca is a virtual rapper with an insanely huge TikTok following, like over 1 billion views. Uh, he's got half a million monthly listeners on Spotify. Oh, I've seen this. I've never mind. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Yeah, it was such I've an insane story. Guy. Yeah, it's ridic- completely ridiculous. So his TikTok content is basically that played out pseudo hip hop luxury lifestyle shenanigans. He's out here stunting with his flashy jewelry and cars, blah, blah, blah. Um, the animation and the augmented reality stuff is really cool. Um, his TikTok has some cool content just from a design and like 3D animation perspective. It's quite impressive. And I can see why it's so popular on that platform. FN Mecca was created. That's that's going to be the end of the nice things I say about FN Mecca, by the way. Uh, <laughs> he was created by music exec Anthony Martini and Brandon Lee, a concept artist for AAA games and movies. They are the co-founders of Factory New, a music company that deals strictly with virtual talent. So if you have a pulse, don't bother sending them your demo. They don't care. No humans allowed. And FN Mecca is their first artist. So riding the wave of his insane popularity, FN Mecca was signed to Capitol Records in 2022. 
and dubbed the first AI artist signed to a major label. I just want to point out here, there's not a whole lot of AI happening here, not in the way the public is led to believe. I think people like to throw that term around because it just sounds fancy and high tech. They claim that the lyrics and the music are based on AI, but ugh, what does that mean? That's like so incredibly vague. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, F and Mecca is voiced by a human, possibly multiple humans, because his voice seems to change quite a bit from video to video. So anyway, he teamed up with human rapper Gunna and released the track Florida Water. So I believe F and Mecca's first couple of songs Um, They were voiced by an artist named Kyle the Hooligan. And I'm going to say that Kyle the Hooligan is the only Black person involved in this project that I'm aware of. And why is that important, you ask? Stay tuned. (laughs) Um, And even so, this guy was just rapping the lyrics. He, He didn't write them. So why is this important, you ask? Well, F and Mecca's content was insensitive at best. It perpetuated Black stereotypes He threw around the N-word. He made light of police brutality. All produced, all this content produced by ostensibly a non-Black team. So it was very much giving modern minstrelsy and it was not a cute look. Uh, Capitol Records received swift backlash. Activist group Industry Blackout released a statement putting the label on full blast. Uh, The statement highlights the fact that Gunna participated in this project while being incarcerated. Uh, The statement says, quote, This digital effigy is a careless abomination and disrespectful to real people who face real consequences in real life. For example, Gunna, a Black artist who is featured on a song with FN Mecca, is currently incarcerated for rapping the same type of lyrics this robot mimics. The difference is, your artificial rapper will not be subject to federal charges for such. Less than two weeks later, the label announced it had cut ties with Evan Mecca in a lengthy statement apologizing to the Black community for not doing its due diligence in vetting the artist. Womp womp. See, Capitol Records tried to get in there and cash in on, you know, that popular social media trend, and they did not do their homework. They did not, yeah. Hmm. I bet you all those people were old white guys, too. <laughs> Probably. They just saw dollar signs in their eyeballs. Um, yeah. in, an, in an interview with Music Business Worldwide, Martini says, quote, not to get all philosophical, but what is an artist today? Think about the biggest stars in the world. How many of them are just vessels for commercial endeavors? Uh, which he has a point there. If yeah, fans sure. only ever see their favorite artists on screens anyway, Martini questions, then what difference does it make if those artists are real people or avatars? He makes another compelling point later in that article talking about how inefficient and unreliable it's been for record labels to find and market talent the traditional way and how abysmally low the success rates are, like one, one to two percent even. So if we can develop- Why, you know? Why what? Why is it so hard? Well, think about the amount of money it costs, not even like, not even to just find talent, but then to develop that talent, like that initial investment in that talent. To me, it seems- easier than ever because you kind of can find people that have already gone viral for just their natural talent on maybe they're singing in the bathroom you know I just feel like it's probably easier these days but I think that maybe it it is harder because they don't fit some agenda or something I don't know right they don't fit some agenda or maybe they're just not cut out for the major label lifestyle you know yeah Maybe they've they they found their niche. Right. They want to make, they want to like maintain creative control. And you know, these labels aren't having that, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's got to be quite challenging. That's not surprising. Should change the way they work. Gee, say it louder for the folks in the back. Right. Yeah. So, so if we can develop technology that generates pop music and lyrics based on other proven popular songs with specific inputs or structural parameters, is it fair to assume you'd end up with more hits for less effort? And the big question is, if this is what's coming, and I think the train has already left the station here, what do we call this thing? Like, you know, we talked about this earlier. Is it a new genre? Is it a completely new form of entertainment? Is it still music even? Is it something else? What is this? And is there space for it? 
I think there's space for it. I think it's already happening. Spotify has playlists full of songs they've created. They're putting their playlists in the forefront. They're putting their fake artists who are all the same team usually making lo-fi beats or like soft jazz for their lo-fi beats or working from home playlists. So they have to pay less by putting real artists in there that make the actual music it's like already happening. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't like know. this. I, well, I don't like I don't like this being called music. I don't think this is part of music. I think this is like a strictly virtual influencer thing that's happening. Because what's the first thing that these popular influencers do when they get a little bit of clout? They put out a single mm-hmm. for whatever reason. You know what I mean? It's like they get a Dunkin' Donuts deal and they put out a single. Yeah. <laughs> right. And like or like this, a McDonald's combo or something. A McDonald's combo. That's like the funniest. That's the funniest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Um, <laughs> yeah. What is the connection? What is like? What is the consumer experience when you roll up to a McDonald's and you get like the Cardi B Happy Meal? What is the satisfaction? I don't know, but I wanted it. I want to <laughs> eat what Cardi B is eating. Like, what is she ordering? Is this really what she wants? Or like, surely? Or did she like? You know, what would be cool is if we came up with a hamburger with barbecue sauce and like, let's call that mine. Like, what? What does the the brainstorming session look like for that? Are you just like. I don't know. What if we do like a cheeseburger and like three nuggets? What, what What's the, I don't the creative? Know. I feel like I could see them on a call being like, okay, well, what's your favorite thing to order? Okay, now how can we like jazz it up for this special combo? What up. do you think we should put on it? Here's your options. Okay, let's two two slices of cheese Great. on my normal fish I've, sandwich I feel or so. I don't know. Great. I feel so close to Cardi <laughs> now. Okay. Um do you get like a special edition toy or something? Maybe so. I don't know. Maybe you get the Cardi B wrap snacks in your Happy Meal. Everything is <laughs> now a we're going off topic, but, yeah, it, but still, it's it's bizarre. But yeah. but yeah, these are these are these influencers. Like in F and Mecca's case, he was completely wrapped up in like the blockchain um, NFT space. Yeah, you know all that. That was his shtick. So it was all it was all very much just a, a big marketing ploy. And he happens to make music, which gets an insane amount of monthly listens on Spotify. Yeah. I, and not to mention, like, I'm leaving so many examples out. There's Lil Michaela, who's also super huge on Instagram, millions and millions of followers. Uh, Kizuna Ai out of Japan, another really popular anime-inspired uh, YouTuber. They're, they're everywhere. Yeah, she's kind of cool. She's, she's released music as well, music videos. She's been on tour as well. Let's hear one of her songs. This is I, I, I from Kizuna Ai. Very popular on YouTube. She does like let's play live streams of her playing games and Q&As and vlogging, all kinds of stuff. Very, very active. And she's been in the game since 2016. Stuff just blows my mind. It's yeah, it's basically a, a cartoon, an avatar, just getting famous. Yeah, yeah. And even Lil Michaela on Instagram, she's a 19-year-old robot living in LA. She's signed with freaking CAA, the huge talent agency, and she's their first virtual client. So the stuff is the stuff is real. Yeah, it's a real it's a real body, but it's like a deep fake. It's a deep fake face. I mean, okay, she looks cool. Yeah, she's super cute. She looks like someone I would be obsessed with. Right, right. Bjork vibes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Like old school. I think it's Sugar Cubes era Bjork, maybe. Yeah. More urban. But she's she's adorable. And like for I for IG, I completely see why she's so popular. Her content is fun and she's cute and it's like it's like this lifestyle that you would pine for in your youth. So I'm not mad at that. You know, there, there's another side of it, I think, that we haven't really said, and that is She's too perfect. Do you know what I mean? Like there's no flaws on her face, really. There's nothing. She gets closer to real than the cartoons, but she still seems fake, you know? Yeah, but like, isn't that the whole, that's the whole point is this pursuit for perfection. It's the thing that we keep abusing human celebrities for not being able to achieve. Our but idea she has of perfection. Like a, but she has like a Tomb Raider, like, Video game fakeness, I'm saying. Yeah, it's not it's not perfect. It's it's very uncanny valley for sure. Yeah, it's weird. Especially when she's attached to a human body. It's even more jarring. But they're getting close, yeah. man. 
that's going to change. Yeah. They're going to get more and more realistic. But I think she, I think her, her, her design is really high quality. I think she's cute. She's got this nice, like, uh, racial ambiguity that is pleasurable for everyone, you know, whatever. She does have a, I'm cool, but I'm also a girl next door kind of nice vibe. Right. And like, I'm just too cool for school and I don't care what you think. And the kind of attitude you would want to have her age (laughs) that we all aspire to have at her age is this like carefree, I'm doing my thing, devil may care kind of attitude. Yeah. I have no problem with that. So these artists, I mean, hey, they're hugely popular. They're going viral constantly, racking up millions of views on their videos and on their socials. Maeve has even performed on like the popular weekly music shows in Korea on their stage in front of a live audience. Their animation is super high quality, really great motion tracking. And the public perception is quite positive. So it's just going to keep getting bigger. But um, And I haven't even touched on AI. We'll have to save that for another time because there are actual... AI generated music, you know, personalities in the mix with AI generated music and lyrics. Um, just quickly to mention, there's a London based Iranian artist named Ash Kusha who has created like a collective of five AI personas who are making music. Um, one of them is named Yona, Y O N A, if you pull that up on YouTube. So it's, it's coming. But yeah, that's it. This, yeah, this. This goes beyond music even. I mean, we like we said already, this is like entertainment, but even from the influencer side, like it almost feels like anyone could computer generate or just like come up with some virtual persona without harming their real life and become a virtual influencer, virtual celebrity even, and without having to edit your own body and people say things about it. You're editing this other person's body. It's so much bigger than music. It's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, I think there are definitely benefits for the artists. You like preserve your sanity. You can preserve your privacy. You can have a clear, you can set clearer boundaries between this is my art that I'm presenting to the world. This is my private life, with it, which is out of bounds to you, you know, or at least mm-hmm. I have more control over how, how much I let you engage with that. And I think that's important. Yeah. Well, you know who's not a virtual influencer? Who that? T-Pain. He's not, man. T-Pain is real. He's real. And that man can sing. And he can sing. I'm just still salty about how he got treated and that he had to yeah. step away from music. Me too. I was just about to say, like, how is autotune different from talk box funk era goodness that we all love? Yeah. It's not, not fair. Uh, yeah, it's not fair. The difference is like, some, again, like we said, some artists who use auto-tune to hide their flaws and try to project a facility, a vocal facility that they don't really have, that part is is dubious. That's a questionable activity. T-Pain was just smart. Like, you're just mad because you didn't come up with it and make it this big, this big thing. You know what I mean? He, he, he was blatantly using it for its creative merit. And everyone and loved it, so everybody they overdid it. it. It became overplayed and then he was the one that went down for it. Yeah. Bummer. But Man. again, that's that's Anyways. the society's problem, like we talked about earlier. We yeah. do that. We take something that's cool and we just drive it into the ground until everybody turns on it and then you just hate it. And then somebody has to be crucified for it. That's that's our sickness. Yeah. Man. Justice. Hashtag this, justice for T Pain. Hashtag ju- yeah. I'm not even gonna say it. You said it perfectly. Well, this was really a big conversation we have because I feel like they're really well connected talking about these almost like generated voice effects but then talking about generating in a sense musicians singers influencers performers it's all connected we'll probably talk about talk about it again soon because it's just going to get more and more complicated yeah hey it would be actually kind of cool if we brought back Max Headroom but like (laughs) Not the real guy in a suit. I'm ready like an, for it. An actual computer-generated Max Headroom. And he can partner with Daft Punk for their return. Oh, man. That would be kind of sick, actually. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to unplug, I think, for the day. Yeah. It's enough tech. Enough tech for me. It's time for a book. Curl up with a it's book time for and a, a cup of tea. Old school actually, pleasures. Speaking of computer heads, have you read Saga? I highly recommend Saga. If you're into robots, it's a oh. comic series, but 
I read them in volumes, so it seems more like a graphic novel. Um, it's like a cross between Romeo and Juliet meets like a Woody Allen film meets like Star Wars. It's really cool. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Interesting. I love it. Yeah. Hmm. It's a, a book, cool. a graphic novel? Graphic novel, comic series. Yeah. Saga. Okay. Yeah, cool. I'm reading a cool, cool. book too. It's not music what are you related, reading? but it is sci-fi and techie. It's called House of Gold. Ooh, wait, who wrote that? A great young African author. I'm going to completely butcher his last name, but it's spelled R-W-I-Z-I. But it's a really cool Afrotech sci-fi adventure and I'm loving it so far. So Cool. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, time to unplug. Cool. Let's time shut down unplug. the store. Everybody yes. get out. <laughs> yes. All right. Thanks for shopping. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Record Store Society is hosted by Natalie White and Tara Davies. If you'd like to contact the show, visit our website at recordstoresociety.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society.